I bring Sutek's gift of podcast to all humanity. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the fabulous 18th episode of the Metabilis 2 podcast with me, Ben. And partner in crime here, David. Ooh, and we are continuing our very, very enjoyable careen <laughs> through the Hinchcliffe Holmes years, especially mm-hmm. focusing on the horrific. Yeah, so yes. let's see, we're picking up, I think, what is it, end of 1975 here with the uh, Terror of the Zygons? Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, I think, I think we're midway through 1975 uh, with yeah. the Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, the story that was held over it from was. season 12. Why was it held over? I, I'm not sure I know that. Is there a reason? An interesting re- <laughs> a well, reason that's worth talking about. <laughs> the well, the, it was to I reason. believe to give uh, Hinchcliffe a little more time to, organizing what he and Bob Holmes wanted to do for season thirteen. Okay, so. and here, and so they slam straight into it with yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they cut short uh, season twelve, ended on a cliffhanger with. The doctor getting a message from the brigadier message to come brigadier back via space-time and telephone communication device or something. Yeah, I think it was a psionic beam. Psionic beam. <laughs> well, Terror of the Zygons. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with this one, is there? Really? What's this? It's and also, sorry, we're not just saying how awesome it is, which it is. We're trying to see how horrific it is. It's also completely horrific as well. Ugh, body horror. There it is. The, mm-hmm. the Zygons are like horrible aborted baby octopus monster creatures (laughs) well did you see the uh, restored scene on the dvd i did see the restored scene on the dvd exciting that was Mm -hmm. yeah with harry talking to sarah that could expect any kind of uh slidey toves or right momsy whips or whatever coming (laughs) coming out of mimsy yeah Yeah. coming out of the woodwork the bar groves yeah it really set kind of the tone that it was it was lovely to see that scene restored yeah it was and yeah the whole theme the just the with uh uh, jeffrey burgon's music and uh, with the shape shifting and just that the the aliens are amongst us it really really is creepy and the cliffhangers in each each one are stunning yeah like the the cliffhanger to episode one with the sarah on the phone talking to the doctor saying harry is recovering and then we we do a crash zoom into a zygon looming up to her yeah and then the phone goes dead you know to pick up episode two i mean that that is great yeah it's like hitchcock (laughs) it's it's fantastic exactly the whole thing is just perfect Mm -hmm. all the way Mm -hmm. through yeah, and then we get a huge monster. So, I mean, that's the cliffhanger of episode two is uh, the doctor is being chased across the heather by the Scarazin, the Loch Ness monster. Exactly. And the stop motion animation was, you know, if if the invasion of dinosaurs was to that scale, I mean, we would have a much more positive uh, yeah, I always, memory of the invasion of the dinosaurs. I mean, I always read, and I think this is wrong, that, that everyone, everyone, I guess Doctor Who fans, whoever, believes that the the realization of the scarison was poor i think the scarison mm-hmm. is amazing i think this, i think to attempt to do stop motion animation like that is fabulous and mm-hmm. i mean the horrific part of it again is you know i think that is down to the uh, uh down to the model makers who i think was I, the, again you know bbc um uh the the special effects the, department the, 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 the special effects department but this this tactic that they use of using a dog skull or like a, a dog jaw which is what they use for the drashigs in who are again another horrific monster mm-hmm. drashigs in carnival of monsters just gives it just this horrible kind of quasi realistic uh i mean it, you know it, it 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 looks like a dog skull with like flesh attached to it it's it's a it's an absolutely horrific monster very mm-hmm. very frightening i'm still right. vaguely intimidated to it by it to this very day the scarison i think the scarison is amazing I think the stop-motion scarison is excellent. I think where it's let down is the Drashik-style puppet at the end of 
episode four coming I like up in it. the Thames. No, I, 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 I love those puppets. I mean, the Drashig, okay. the Drashig puppets are superb. And I do actually own my own Drashig pu- <laughs> puppet that, of course, was released just a few years ago. It's still mm-hmm. languishing in its box. But yeah, no, the Drashigs are amazing. Um, the Scarus is amazing. And when I say amazing, very, very frightening, very intimidating. Right. And well-realized. And the Loch Ness Monster was, a, was like a, a huge thing in the 70s. I don't know whether it reached over, over oh, the United States. A- absolutely, because I was just totally enraptured with the Loch Ness Monster. I read I lots, love of, the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> lots of books about the Loch Ness <laughs> exactly. Monster. I think, I think I even have some of the books that I you know, begged my parents to buy me yeah. on, on the Loch Ness Monster and so wanted to go take a trip to Inverness. To, to, and, to Loch Ness and like, see the right? monster. Um, and I, I, what I think was exciting for me as a, as a kid, and again, you know, I'm, I'm like nine, eight or nine, oh, I'm eight years old here, mm-hmm. um, is it looked nothing like the Loch Ness Monster. That's what was like so freaky and exciting about it really is because you know one 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 because you know the the kind of literature that one would read about the Loch Ness Monster he was basically a plesiosaur you know had a long exactly. neck with a little head and like flippers mm-hmm. and stuff like that the Scarison was this kind of like crazy dog-headed like people chewing giant flappy that creature it was which turtle was it was like a turtle <laughs> so much more uh, uh, frightening than, than than one imagined the Loch Ness Monster to be mm-hmm. so yeah that was great well the the scenes that they had of the Scarison swimming underwater next to the Zygon ship and this it was very well realized and it really conveyed that monster I think well yeah and the other bit mm. with the story is yeah. just the whole shapeshifters in oh, that God, yeah. scene with Harry attacking Sarah, that Horrific. that still freaks me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, Harry's Harry's someone that we've we've come to know and love. You know, he's like Absolutely. literally the last person on earth who will attack mm-hmm. Sarah. Uh, I'll have to also call out the nurse. Um, I'm not going to be able to remember her name, of course, um, but nurse <laughs> <laughs> Sister Lama. Sister, yeah, who was this kind of? Who was? I think she was. She's always kind of a. I mean, I. I don't think she was ever not as Igon. But that yes. kind of blank acting that she mm-hmm. does, whoever that actress is, and again, of course, I'm not going L- to L- Lilius Walker. <laughs> oh, you what? Have you got it open in front of you or something? <laughs> no, I. Or are just, you just remembering it? I have. I have watched this so many times. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it's just just creepy <laughs> AF, as my kids like to uh-huh. say. Just, 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 <laughs> and again, let's call out John Woodnut as oh, as the Duke of Forgo, Duke of Forgo. And Broton, <laughs> and also Broton. I mean, of course, he doesn't have to be that. I mean, there's no reason why John Woodnut playing the Duke of Forgo also has to be Broton as well. If you see what I mean, mm-hmm. um, because obviously, right. you know, I don't think did they dress up Sister Lamotte as a Zygon to play the Zygon I d- character? I don't. I don't, think they I don't did. know if they did, but definitely Woodnut was Broton for uncredited for four episodes. <laughs> yeah, and he just knocks it out of the park in terms of like just kind of evil. God, wow! Right. Like, I mean, you yeah, really believe? Voice. You really? Re- I mean, even though as the Doctor mm-hmm. helpfully points out in Episode Four, their invasion plan is is pretty. There's only sort of mm-hmm. four of them, right. and what the hell are they going to do? Like wave a tentacle from the balcony, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh-huh. Even though the doctor does point out that there's not really a lot going on here, um, mm-hmm. he just sells that as just an evil, evil, evil monster, well, scary the- monster. Well, and it, it it fits the horror trope because we have the old mansion and the duke, and we, we have do. this tyrant, the you know the you know the Duke of Forgo Bro- yeah. Broton as the evil tyrant of yeah. the manor, yeah, uh, you know, lording himself over the villagers, and the villagers are very protective of the duke. Exactly, it's complete. It's absolute hammer, absolute hammer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, number it's a t- tip top one. Um, yeah, ter- it, ter- it, you know, and well just, named. It is definitely right. terrifying. Just riffing off the hammer, but uh, who who's the author of the Day of the Triffords? Uh, John Wyndham. John Wyndham wrote a story about uh, alien invasion in the deep. Uh, the Kraken Wakes, indeed, yes. And the aliens' plans is very reminiscent of the uh, right. Kraken Wakes right. too. So right. I think that a lot of inspiration of like I think you said the home counties type. Uh, home counties uh, apocalypse monsters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, granted, this was in, in in set in Scotland, but it's it's still the same. We're taking the small village, mm-hmm. you know, something that the Pertwee era was really well known for. Yeah. And so this is almost like. This is Tom Baker doing the ultimate John Pertwee story. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, absolutely. because you see uh, Baker, you know, driving. Uh, Betsy. Uh, uh, 
military jeep i don't know <laughs> oh a land rover be a land rover yeah okay yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah, you yeah. saw you saw tom baker's doctor driving a land rover right. very similar to what you know what you're pertwee doing right you know the running over land yeah just yep, yep. Uh, it, you could see but the way tom baker does the doctor it's an entirely different performance and this is probably one of my favorite outings of unit it's really one of the final outings of unit but it i really like and i wish there was more of tom baker the fourth doctor with unit with the brigadier and the yeah. company because i think it well, really shines well. yeah the, i mean the other thing again we get slightly off the horror topic but i mean i'll, right. I'll, I'll start to point out is that they're obviously spending money as well the whole kind of like, oh, Doctor Who's really cheap and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's not cheap. This looks and feels expensive. Right. Or, you know, the, the Zygon costumes are mm -hmm. amazing. Um, they do a completely new Scottish costume for the Doctor. Right. I didn't see, you know, I guess I was nine years old and I didn't know the Highlands of Scotland from a hole in the ground. Um, <laughs> I believed that this was in the Highlands of Scotland. Right. This looks like quality TV to me. This mm -hmm. isn't something cheap and cheerful and kind of, you know, for the kids. This has got some seriousness behind it, which is, again, what made it so exciting for an eight-year-old. Yeah, and they did step it up with Douglas Canfield as the director. So yep. that just raises and elevates the quality of the production yeah. just by having Canfield involved with it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I mean, I have to say, you know, this season, season 13, is an absolutely stonking season mm -hmm. in every way because I'm just going to go straight on to the second story of the season, Planet mm -hmm. of Evil, which is, mm -hmm. again, my God, absolutely horrific. I mean, it starts out with, like, wizened husks of corpses on the yeah, ground. Yeah, the way the antimatter creature oh uh, destroys people is is again not to overuse our phrase horrific it's horrific exactly and that's just the yeah. beginning and the 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 the, the uh, going riffing on the the money thing the jungle that they created i think in one of the um i think it's uh one of the actual film studios i think it's one of the hammer film studios isn't it that, that, that they made this in i can't remember anyway they mm. used a proper film studio to make like a proper alien jungle right the stuff they shot on film looks incredible and you just wish Absolutely that they would have incredible. shot the whole thing on film because with the film grain and the yeah, right lighting amazing. and coloring it is beautiful it uh, is a gorgeous set it's probably the best alien jungle set ever set on a soundstage it I, is amazing it's it's i mean again if one just compares it to planet of the daleks you know which is is okay but it is mm -hmm. just some like pot plants like you know in on the floor of the studio mm -hmm. it's just i mean this is a, it's a star wars it's you know it's like um right. dago bar level like jungle right and it, convincingness and and if you just jump forward in time to kinda if kinda oh, had a jungle this. of this quality yep. kinda would have been a lot a lot better of, of a production but uh, you know for whatever reasons whether that talent had left the bbc whether the budgets weren't the same it's nowhere near as close for all the the kind of bigging up that 80s who gets mm -hmm. they were spending money in the 70s to make this show look good and they were not spending similar sums of money in the in the 80s to make the show look good this is quality stuff uh, obviously the the kind of horror movie that they're looking at here is uh the kind of jekyll and hyde yep. uh piece you know with a bit of werewolf thrown in as well it, i kind of in my notes have it as this is uh dr jekyll and mr hyde meets the forbidden planet with exactly the matter creature. it's it's like three like completely awesome stories like mm -hmm. i i can't speak for how often an american uh child or you know adult whoever how often you guys got to see forbidden planet whether it was ever on tv but forbidden planet was played regularly on bbc one um mm -hmm. and i probably seen forbidden planet at least a couple of times before mm -hmm. i saw planet of evil so i absolutely got the reference mm -hmm. and we totally understood that okay this is oh cool this is an incredibly cool movie and mm -hmm. doctor who is doing a version of a, a movie that we already really like and think is super cool I think it, it falls apart in the writing mm. with the ending with uh, Sorensen surviving, but after the doctor telling that you and I are scientists, uh, you know, we bear the ultimate responsibility of our own actions or something like that. And this Sorensen's responsible for the deaths of many, many 
yeah, people right. and he's 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 kind of become this antimatter monster but he somehow survives and basically gets a, a redirect and a pat on the back from the doctor and yeah. i see that as a, a fault or a failing for this story that well if this was made in the 60s we would definitely have had more of a moralistic tale but this in the yeah. 70s Sometimes we don't get that clean, tidy ending. I think in some ways, I mean, this is actually in some ways maybe a little unusual for the Holmes-Hinchcliffe partnership. I mean, I think what we're getting, I mean, obviously the, the, the perfect ending for this is it w- would have been if Sorensen had sacrificed in some, himself in right. some kind of way, you know, right. taken the antimatter back to the antimatter monster into the universe, right. being blagged. Lagged in some way, mm-hmm. which of course he doesn't, uh, and you know maybe that that would have been too grim an ending. Perhaps I don't know. I mean, certainly they put Sorensen through the ringer, and again, this is incredibly frightening. The red glowing eyes. Right. Um, uh, that was incredibly horrific for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. The final scenes when they're barricaded mm-hmm. in the bridge with these antimatter monsters, kind of you know beating at the door. Right. Absolutely. T- absolutely terrifying i remember being terrified by that um mm-hmm. and i'll call out like a third piece of terrifying action which is um the cliffhanger which i think is the one at the end of the second episode or, is it the, or the one are you talking about the freeze frame uh when they are being slid out in those kind of mysterious coffin things to be ejected into space uh, the doctor and sarah uh, yeah uh, that's episode three that's episode three that again you know completely scared the pants off me as a right as a, as a kid because you, you think, had no idea how they're going to escape from that how are they going to get away from this and the I, I, I think the other thing that you know even subliminally horrified me at the time was that the, the ship had such a complex and effective mechanism for ejecting corpses into space <laughs> which seems like one might imagine that might that might happen sort of once every mm-hmm. couple of years, possibly, they would have to eject a corpse. But to have like a double corpse ejecting system mm-hmm. that was really efficient and well made, um, mm-hmm. that everyone knew how to use. Uh, again, it's a kind <laughs> of a plot failing, but really kind of freaked me out at the time. The Wrath of Khan torpedo to, <laughs> exactly. to double up it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But it is, it's, 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 and just the abject ringer that they put, the, I'm just repeating myself, you know, the, the Sorensen, you know, he, he really, uh, is it's Jager, Frederick Jager really acts He really nailed it. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a good story, and oh I think God, this story. is the first story of the true Hinchcliffe home partnership. Up until this point, it's been what uh, uh, Terrence Dix had commissioned under Barry Letts. Right, right. So, so we we saw a little bit of the template with Robot, where we're doing the movie mashup. Right. But here we're seeing Bob Holmes kind of unleash. This is what he wants, and I think yeah. we see we see the strengths and the weaknesses of that coming forward. And with the next story, Period of a Mars, we get a Bob Holmes um, page one rewrite of a Lewis Griefer's script. Right. You know, let's just point out how just in general amazing Pyramids of Mars is. It is, uh, again, Hammer Horror. It's the mummy. Yep. Uh, it's I think it's all of the Hammer Horror, horror kind of mummy things mashed together. Yeah, like the, the mummy, blood of the mummy's tomb, you know, et yep. cetera. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, there's a creepy Victorian mansion. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a scary Egyptian servant. Right. Uh, was I nine? I think I was nine by this point. Oh, perfect age. <laughs> perfect age. I mean, there is so much that's horrible in this show Mm -hmm. uh the scene where uh the marcus the kind of basically reanimated corpse of Mm -hmm. marcus scarman um the archaeologist returns down uh, a kind of time tunnel effect thing (laughs) and then places his hands on the shoulders of the of the egyptian servants ibrahim namin (laughs) ibrahim namin and then just kind of then there's smoke erupts and he just kind of dies we did I that bring to, uh, gift, gift of death. death. We to did that humanity. in the playground at my school, like over and over again, because we thought it was just the coolest mm-hmm. and scariest thing we had ever seen. So right. there you go. there's that. No, it was high in atmosphere and it was really well written with a small I mean it was it's effectively an outdoor bottle episode. And oh, yeah, it like that. Mm-hmm. really, really high atmosphere the music dudley simpson's incidental music in this was perfect with the 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 organ playing with sutek descending down or the marcus scarman corpse coming down the 
time tunnel. It just yeah. it really, really served it. I think there's I think there's hints of uh, Bram Stoker in this with uh, absolutely um, with his novel The Jewel of the Seven Stars, where it was an archaeologist plot to revive right. an ancient Egyptian queen. So there's kind of a hint of that. So I think Holmes really synthesized the yep. whole uh, hammer horror mummy Egyptology Western fears of the mummy's curse. Yeah, um, setting it in an old manner with this ancient evil. It really, it's hammer horror for kids again. It's it's just, it's perfect for Saturday afternoon. Exactly. Horror. And going back to the, what we said about the Loch Ness Monster, you know, the curse of the mummy and especially the curse of Tutankhamun, that was huge in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I had several, oh, yes. several books on like the curse of the pyramids. Yes. So that was a big cultural thing. There's there's very very standard kind of horror horrific tropes in here. There's you know the 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 uh, the mummies are basically the Terminator. You know they are unstoppable, unkillable, um, killing machines who are out to get you. They move slowly, but you can't escape. Um, and that was one of the things I think one found most terrifying about them is that you could outrun a mm-hmm. uh, a mummy but there was nowhere to go and like right. the you were poacher, trapped within that field right exactly and they didn't kill you in a nice way they didn't like <laughs> zap you with a ray gun um like the poacher they got you between themselves and weirdly they had these horrible spiky chests and they crushed <laughs> you to death they crushed you between their bosoms exactly between between <laughs> that al- that ample bosoms <laughs> you know it's just nasty uh, and the again, you know, the psychological horror here as well. Oh, just with Michael Sheard. Michael Sheard's with character. His brother, right, with, with Lawrence and Marcus. Lawrence Gilman, I mean, yeah. He, he just couldn't accept that his brother Marcus was gone and dead and it ultimately just led to his own death. Exactly. And you have a you have like existential horror as well. You have the doctor showing you what will happen if he loses. Oh, um, that that I think is just perfect Doctor Who. And when you go uh, later with the fixed point of times, like within Waters and Mars, and it's sort of like it just pales, pales yeah. in comparison yeah. to the explanation that Bob Holmes came up with in 1975 for why the doctor has to stay and fight when he encounters something just because you know the future is the same. There's alternative paths that can be taken, this whole parallel universe thing that uh, uh, we came up with uh, with the Inferno. Exactly. You have to stay and fight because you are caught now. You don't know where your future is going exactly. to be. And I think it's just, it's just perfect. Tom Baker's performance in Pyramids Must also kind of plays really well to a particular bugbear that I have, certainly with the way that I mm-hmm. often see it, Doctor Who is appreciated in America. The, the kind of bescarfed, jelly baby, chomping, kind of hat-wearing, grinning loon, mm-hmm. which apparently is how popular culture in America views Tom Baker's performance as the Doctor. You yeah. do not see that here at all. Mm-hmm. He is grim, he is driven, he is mysterious, he is mm-hmm. alien, he is unsmiling, he mm-hmm. is attentive to the job at hand, which is basically saving the universe. There's right. none of that kind of gurning nonsense that you right. know uh, you get, uh, which again, which I, which I think is relatively uncommon in Tom's performance. I mean, you right. get, I think you get it more of it l- later on, but it's just he just again sells it as he's, this is an alien and he has alien mm-hmm. business to do. Um, and humans don't matter. Yeah, I think a lot of credit goes to Patty Russell in her ability to direct Tom and yeah, get an excellent point. performance out of him. And she also adds gravitas to Sarah's character by, you know, look, this this young lady is going to know how to handle a rifle. She is going oh, God, to yeah. be, you know, she is going to be competent in this. And I think that owes a lot to Patty Russell and her direction. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, an excellent director. I think she yeah. got an amazing performance out of Gabriel Wolf as Sutek. And who was just sitting there, basically, yeah. For, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, he has a wonderful voice, but I mean, he's speaking through a mask. He's yep. acting through a mask. You get all that uh, sinister hate 
coming from Sutek just through the voice. And again, it's another excellent acting job. And she, Patty Russell, did an amazing job just even just from the smaller characters like um, um with dr warlock i think uh mm-hmm. P- peter peter copley played yep. them or then or with, uh, namin with uh, uh peter mayock that 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 they, the both of them really added and sold um the horror in the story and just for these minor parts like uh namin was only in there for episode one episode and just one. the end of episode or the beginning of episode two yeah. while he died but just his presence elevated the story and set the tone and the horror for it and i just want to call out again bernard archard as as marcus garman who is you know a a great british character actor Mm -hmm. in a lot of movies you know 40s 50s and 60s -hmm. my absolute one of my absolute favorite moments of all doctor who new and old because it is i think such a heart-rending and heartbreaking and horrific and kind of multifaceted moment is when Sutek is finally freed mm-hmm. and Bernard Archer shouts out, I'm free. And mm-hmm. then his body falls to the ground and it, he dissolves into ashes. And you just right. get this amazing double meaning that, mm-hmm. you know, Sutek is free of his prison. But you also get the impression that actually you know, the body of Marcus Scarman, whatever consciousness of Marcus Scarman is left in that body, right. has also now been freed of the malign influence of Sutek, and he can now die, uh, you know, guilt-ridden, obviously, because he killed his brother and so many other people. It's just a beautiful, beautiful moment, just just full of pathos, wonderful, right. wonderful. I think that this story has two knocks against it. One, one is the uh, production... Uh, mishap of the hand of Sutek holding down the cushion. The hand of Sutek. We all love the hand of Sutek. And I just, I, <laughs> I, I rewatched that this week, and I'm just going, you know, I wonder if this was a DVD a little bit later, towards the end of the range, if the restoration team would have offered a special episode yeah. four with the hand of Sutek edited out. Yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoy the idea that maybe you know it's like Eldrad's hand, like you know, more just you know, Sutek just got some hands. <laughs> that like live in his cave with him, like mm-hmm. doing stuff for him. I don't know, mm-hmm. like just running around. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other the other bit, uh, I think it's uh, there's too much emphasis, a negative emphasis on this in fandom with the, the puzzles of the tomb and that they yeah. don't make much sense at the end. But I watched it again, and I don't think it really causes that much of a problem no. in the story. I don't. I mean, there are a lot better than the Exelon's puzzles. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's for sure. Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it, there, I mean, it 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 allowed for some more uh, humorous humorous lines of Sutek with uh, um, uh, childish stratagems and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, so, no, the, the puzzles. The puzzles. I don't mind the puzzles <laughs> at all. And and again, you know, watching as an eight year old or nine-year-old or however old I was I think I was again as you said I was nine at that point those puzzles seemed really complicated and hard to solve Mm -hmm. I was very impressed that the Doctor and Sarah were able to solve those puzzles (laughs) and I yes so it wasn't wasn't a problem for me at all at that point Mm -hmm. in my life yeah so it's fine (laughs) it's 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 okay it's fine Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we love the we well, obviously we love the pyramids of Mars. We could do a whole episode on the pyramids of Mars because it's awesome. So that there you go. So next up, we get Terry Nation in a non-Dalek story. What do you think of the invasion of the love the android body invasion. snatchers? <laughs> the invasion of the android body snatchers. It's invasion of the body snatchers. It's, <laughs> this is the one which I most think about when I think about this idea that Doctor Who is essentially. The Doctor and Sarah are mm-hmm. myself and a, my own friends playing in the woods and in the quarry. It's, you know, it has, and you know, in the village. It just has so many resonances for me in terms of just kind of just pretending to be things. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of horrific parts of it, not so much really. I mean, you know, body snatching and kind of, you know, duplicates are kind of scary. It is right. a bit creepy to go into the village and, you know, the pub is all like weird and stuff. But it's not actually particularly scary. Well, I think the one big scare or the one really creepy scene is the cliffhanger. Uh, I think it's the end of episode episode two where Android Sarah comes out of the kind of the, the coffin, space coffin, and space her, coffin. Or her her robot face falls off. It's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Love so it. So that I think that is a spooky scene. That is a spooky scene. I'll have to say again, and you know, people will laugh at me for saying this, but uh, Milford Johns, 
as Guy Crayford, as Guy Crayford, the Doom, the Doom astronaut. <laughs> I was terrifically impressed at the age of nine by the concept that you wouldn't realise that you had lost an eye um, <laughs> until you were told that you should look under your own eye patch. <laughs> I found that to be a very frightening and weird concept and I, un- I understand now the reason I found it to be a frightening and weird concept is because it makes no sense right um, but at the time I thought my god yeah if I'd lost if I'd been rebuilt or something by aliens and they couldn't find my eye so they put an eye patch over it and told me never to look under the eye patch and then I did mm-hmm. and there wasn't an eye I found that a very very creepy 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 concept so but I wasn't, loved that bit wasn't the whole point that there was an eye and he wasn't blind Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it is. No, it is. you're right. You're right. You're right. He isn't blind. So there was That's nothing. Yeah, there there's was, nothing exactly, wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with him. That's. The, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm. I, I'm. I'm misremembering. Yeah, yeah, I was very. He was just brainwashed. By, yeah, I was very impressed by that. Very. very what did you impressed. think of the crawls? Uh, the, I mean, space rhinos. Who doesn't like space rhinos? Well, the Judoon are better. Yeah, I, if only there could be a Judoon crawl crossover, and we can find out how yeah, the crawls. Yeah relate to the Jadoon or not. All right. That so not we fair. get... Not we so get scary, that, but, but, but cool nonetheless. Yeah. But the next one, next one definitely is scary. Oh, Brain of Morbius. We get Terrence Dix. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so yeah, tell us what's horrific about Brain of Morbius. Surely okay, well, nothing well, can what's... be horrific about a show that's called The Brain of Morbius. <laughs> that doesn't sound horrific at all. Well, <laughs> just look at the influences. I mean, we got where right, we were hitting. Right. Well, Morbius is from Forbidden, Forbidden Planet. Planet that, again, it, it got yep. Edward Morbius in Forbidden Planet, and we have the brain of Morbius in uh, the brain of Morbius. Yeah, <laughs> the story is heavily influenced by Donovan's brain, Ooh. where we have a uh, uh, Doctor Corey uh, is uh, keeping the brain of Donovan alive in a jar, and the brain is slowly using its influence over Corey to. Uh, uh, get him to do what he wants brains are evil yeah yeah and then of course we have frankenstein mary shelley's frankenstein yeah it's a yeah he's frankenstein's monster so we have the perfect gothic setting yeah <laughs> we have the old manor house we have uh, philip servant we ha- right <laughs> and we have philip maddox Oh, ultimate so ultimate doctor who role as so solon good. so good so good yeah the whole thing is just creepy and horrible all the way through mm-hmm. uh, yeah the set is of the planet is okay actually it's it, it, it was it's a it's bit serviceable it's a bit thumpy um you can hear that it's hollow rather than uh, you know they could have done some soundtrack editing there but anyway otherwise it's completely seamless and and the horror just runs all the way through from like the body horror of just a brain in a jar mm-hmm. the, when the brain comes out of the jar and falls to the floor it goes bloop, like you <laughs> might ima- noise. <laughs> like you might imagine a brain to do there's mm-hmm. poison gas that comes mm-hmm. out of vents and the gas is green in a horrible way there's an amazing scene which again i hope i'm not misremembering where um, Sarah is blinded, of course. Yes, um, yes. And Sarah is blind, and Morbius, of course, because he's a brain in a jar, is right. also blind. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, he's he's at such a state where he actually would he um I believe he envies a vegetable. Anyway, so he's blind as well, and they're both blind, and they are both they're having this conversation in in the lab where Morbius is right. kept, and. Both of them don't understand that neither of them, neither of them can see each other, and that is just an amazing bit of kind of mm-hmm. scary theater. Yeah, and Morbius is just going, getting crazier and crazier, more insane as the story goes. And I Sarah's think. just trying to help. And then, of course, right. you get this just incredible fake out of the Morbius creature, the Morbius monster, being a literal monster. And again, I think this is also takes me back to the kind of part of the joys of the kind of the horror of who, and it takes me, takes me back to what I think I said about the Daleks and the genesis of the Daleks, is what's scary about the Daleks is how effed up they are and how not right. good they are at being uh, perfect creatures. <laughs> You know, right. um, they're just blobs in a they're blobs in a jar. And similarly with the Morbius monster, you know, this is kind of built up that I'm, you know, this body is going to be perfect, and it's it's not perfect, mm-hmm. um, and it's just horrific. And you you get this kind of horrific mismatch between the kind of highfalutin you know rhetoric of Morbius and Solon about beauty and not beauty, but kind of genius and perfect bodies and things. And it's, it's so right. patently obvious that both of them are, are like raving insane right. because who would have made a body that looked like this with a giant right. great big claw on it and everything. Right. 
Fabulous. Oh my god. I just wish. I'd love... Um, it's one of my uh, plans at some point when, I don't know, I really have no- nothing to do with my time. I want... Because I have the Morbius Monster toy, okay, action right. figure. And of course, I also have several Tom Baker action figures, okay? Mm-hmm. I would like to pop the head off um, mm-hmm. my Morbius Monster and put the Tom Baker head oh. on the Morbius Monster and actually see what a Tom Baker-headed Morbius Monster would look like. <laughs> I don't well. know why no one has done that yet because I just want to see what it would have looked like <laughs> had Solon's plan come to fruition and oh. Morbius's brain was placed in, 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 in the fourth Doctor's head. Anyway. Creepy. Creepy. What do you think of the element of the Sisterhood of Karn? Well, I think obviously uh, 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 Stephen Moffat loves the Sisterhood of Karn, like they're going Very out of fashion. So. I think they're great. I mean, they're super creepy, and they're also mm-hmm. obviously crazy. I mean, this is again mm-hmm. this marvelous dislocation that Doctor Who can sometimes achieve, where you really are heroes. You know, the Doctor and Sarah are the only sane people in right. the whole story. Um, and that's a very, very strong self-identifier self-ident- for the viewer um, because, you know, everyone else is crazy. <laughs> and the sisters are kind of nuts, you know, and they, they have this crazy song and they do a super cool dance um, mm-hmm. and they set people on fire and they worship a little bit of flame that sits in the corner of their room. Again, I, I can only reference back to my nine-year-old self and, you know, the, the games that we played at, in school we did that chant, Sacred Flame, Sacred Fire. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we took it in turns to be the Doctor and get set on fire while people danced around <laughs> singing Sacred Flame, Sacred Fire. Love the sisterhood, yeah. Yeah, so with the introduction of the sisterhood, I couldn't figure out what made this planet tick, what made Karn tick. You don't like them so much. It's oh. sort of like, okay, we have we have Solon, who's obviously on the run, harboring this uh, Gallifreyan war criminal is master criminal and then we had the sisterhood of karn on karn and i just couldn't i i i i saw this as a much older child i saw this as a probably a preteen right right and it just i was just going what this makes no sense so for me the brain of morbius didn't make quite as much sense as some of the other stories i mean they have to be villagers For the Frankenstein monster story to kind of take effect. So someone has right. to pursue the monster over a cliff using torches. Right. I mean, there is an element of Genesis of the Daleks here, which is like, you know, why are these mortal enemies kind of living within a short walking distance <laughs> of <neighbors>. each other? <laughs> exactly. Why don't they just move to the other side of the planet? And right. then they wouldn't have to see each other so much uh, mm-hmm. if it's so irritating for them. But then again, you know, you you kind of start to lose some plot. Um, and so I think I think they are... Yeah, uh, the more that you tell me that you find it confusing, the more I actually find myself confused mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they contribute, but so, they are super cool. And I think the story that Terrence Dix tells that he had originally planned a Morbius monster to be a robot. Well, with, I thought it wasn't... What, wasn't it, wasn't the other way around? Wasn't wasn't Solon a robot who was trying to make a man? Oh, right. Doing right, it in a really crappy right, way because like, right. what do robots n- know about humans? Right. I think that's right. Yeah. And yeah. and there when what raw materials did it have to work with? It exactly. Had the, exactly. It had a, it had a mutant. <laughs> yeah, the mutant from the mutants. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um, so this yeah. this one is this one I think is very high in atmosphere. Oh, it, super high in atmosphere. I wonder though, uh, I, it might have been Paul Cornell, it might have been someone else who suggested that maybe Bob Holmes was thinking of uh, having the with the introduction of a uh, limited lifespan for Time Lords, and then w- later on with the Deadly Assassin with the thirteen re- regenerations, right. that perhaps Hinchcliffe and Holmes were thinking that. Uh, Tom Baker's incarnation of the Doctor was the final, the 12th regeneration. Right, right. So they were possibly planning on having a regeneration crisis to right. you know, finish off Tom Baker. But right, right. to my knowledge, no one's ever asked Philip Hinchcliffe would probably be the only person who would know, who would know that, whether yeah. this is true. Because with right. the with the Gallifreyan mind battle that uh, the yeah. Doctor does with morbius which is the... which is another another game that i played with my with my very good friend <laughs> ben wilmot at that time we we tried to do a gallifreyan mind battle um it wasn't quite as exciting as the <laughs> one on television but it certainly we found it very very amusing mm-hmm. to play gallifreyan mind battle um i still i think 
from time to time, especially when I'm feeling in a particularly aggravated mood, I long to walk around my house like Morbius, like the Morbius monster does in the laboratory, <laughs> just randomly smashing things and like <laughs> throwing things off tables and roaring and then banging right. my big claw against something else, <laughs> like a giant clumsy angry monster. It's mm-hmm. that destruction of that lab is just kind of you know. Yes, that's kind of wish fulfillment. That's how everyone yes. <laughs> feels from time to time. Just, yeah. just Hulk smash exactly. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um... so we get uh, we get uh, the second Robert Bank Stewart oh, story of, of the season with Seeds of Doom. So it's the thing from another world. It sure is. Well, that's how we open up with the Antarctic base. We certainly do. Exactly. We get, a, get a taste of the day of the Triffrids with our murderous plants. Murderous plants. Um, and then uh, a good dose of the Quatermass experiment with uh, plants transforming humans into monsters. In so, the most horrific way possible. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and to cap it off, they pissed off Mary Whitehouse with this one especially, too. Uh, and it is. And again, as I said, you know, uh, the compost machine. No. Oh. I have to say as well, I, 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 I don't know if this ever, whenever this ever hits America, mm-hmm. but I mean, David, you'll appreciate this because this is roughly the same area, era as um, as the Good Life mm-hmm. uh, or self sufficiency. Uh, good. What was it? Good. What was it called in the states? Good neighbors. Good no, neighbors. Yeah. Good neighbors. Exactly. Um, so compost was a big thing in Absolutely. the 70s. And my parents mm-hmm. used to go on about compost all the time. Um, <laughs> and we had a compost heap and we took all the mm-hmm. scraps out and made it into compost. So compost was a thing. So I really mm-hmm. understood about compost at the age of nine. And the idea that there was a machine that would grind you up and make you into <laughs> compost, especially like a hero or a heroine mm-hmm. like um, like the Doctor or Sarah, mm-hmm. was really, really frightening and disturbing. <laughs> this was just a very, 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 very disturbing show. And I mean, here uh, this Mary Whitehouse. I'll, I'll just quote her. She goes uh, uh, in one of her letters: "Strangulation by hand, by claw, by obscene vegetable matter is the latest <laughs> gimmick, sufficiently close up so they get the point, and just for a little variety, show the children how to make a Molotov cocktail." Yeah, I still, <laughs> whenever I mean, I you know, I'm just about to go to the barricades at the moment. Um, I know how to make a Molotov, Molotov cocktail. Thanks okay. to Douglas Canfield and Robert Banks Stewart and uh, Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe. Yes. Yeah, that's how you make a Molotov cocktail. But th- it's, really, yeah, it's this... good to know. Thank you. <laughs> this is just uh, this is just an amazingly creepy yes. six part story divided into a two and a four, and all through kind of stitching it all throughout. We have this eerie, creepy performance by Tony Beck Beckley, Tony Beckley yeah. of Harrison Chase. <laughs> And he can play all day in his, his green, green cathedral. cathedral. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, he's like a Bond. And well, he, actually, he's not. He is a Bond. Well, well, I, I think I think the other the other influence I think we'd have to reference to Seeds of Doom is the Avengers because um, oh, okay. he's he's more of an Avengers villain than yeah, a Bond now, villain. This is definitely. Yeah, this is definitely Doctor Who's take on the Avengers. On the Avengers, exactly. Um, and Tony Beckley, um, of course, everyone will know him from. The Italian Job. Everyone knows Tony Black Beckley from Italian Job. He's also a super cool and creepy villain in Get Carter with mm-hmm. uh, with Michael Caine. Um, but here, like he is never. This is one of the the greatest all time villains in in Doctor Who. Um, Absolutely. Harrison Chase is he's nuts and he has mm-hmm. like creepy gloves, mm-hmm. and he's apparently thinks that plants are better than humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John Chalice. John Chalice, excellent as Scorby. Scorby, and of course, everyone will know John Chalice from uh, from Only Fools and Horses, um, right? Uh, where he plays the uh, uh, oh, characters on Only Fools and Horses. Can't help you there. Never seen that. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Boise. He's Boise in Only Fools and Horses, and in a whole bunch of of, of spinoffs. Boise, yeah, he's like a mm-hmm. he's like a Cockney wide boy, um, and which is exactly the character he plays in this show as well. Mm-hmm. Only he's an evil Cockney wide boy right. rather than a funny one. It really, it really, truly is the Avengers, and for its critics of the Seeds of Doom, um, I think that's the violence, the the Doctor doing um, fisticuffs, pointing a gun. Pointing a gun at people, um, yeah. Quipping lines like, uh, oh, so Doctor, what do you do for an encore? I would. <laughs> you know, type of things like that. So it's very yeah. Avengers-type pacing, uh, Tom Baker as a man of action. And so that's one of the, it's one of the critiques of the story. But I think 
by making that critique, we have similar critics saying that Doctor Who is a genre machine and you can't have it both ways. I mean, so yeah. this is a very excellent rendition of a, an Avengers style oh, yeah. uh, program, but it's Doctor Who, so he should be able to get away with it. But it is a very big departure from the Tom Baker that we just saw uh, two stories back in the Pyramid of Mars. And again, I'll, I'll have to say, you know, and I it's obviously I'm just going to keep on keep on saying this. And I very much view these stories again through the lens of my nine year old self. Mm -hmm. I didn't pick that up at all as a kid watching right. this that there was okay. any kind of difference with between the doctor we saw in this story and the doctor before um what thrilled us about this story and actually this whole season it, it just seemed to be super adult and not talking mm -hmm. down to us as kids and just providing us with kind of thrills and mm -hmm. scares i'll just call out two other like one one of the things I would say actually is that uh, I missed the first two episodes of the Seeds of Doom. Oh, really? I don't know why because right. they were at the end of January and the beginning of February. I don't know why I did. I wasn't watching them. There must have been some crazy reason. So for 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 sort of, I really came in, which is great actually because it is very much a two parter followed by a four parter. Um, so that worked well mm -hmm. for me. But apart from the the compost machine. The two kind of memories that I have that still st stay with me as being horrific is one when Sarah is being held down and being menaced by the pod. Right. Uh, again, you know, if Ridley Scott wasn't wasn't watching this and thinking about Alien, I don't know what he was doing <laughs> because that's what this is. Which again is horrific because Sarah is our brave and beautiful and plucky heroine, and she's mm -hmm. gonna get eaten by a plant. Ugh, it's horrible. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other one. Well, or transformed, transformed into a disgusting monster plant we, or something, yeah. Well, you would have missed it, I but we, miss we, it. Saw, we saw a week earlier with uh, in Antarctica with Winlet, I yeah. believe, uh, being uh, transformed into a yeah. plant. And then the other, the other one, I think it's um, one of the one of the two people who gets tr tr transformed transformed in, into crinoids when he's in the. It's Arnold Keeler. Keeler, that's mansion. it. Keeler. Yeah, Keeler. miss miss because it was Scorby and Keeler that came down to Antarctica to steal Absolutely. the pod. Just they just came down to Antarctica. It's not far. It's not far from the home <laughs> counties. You just get in a helicopter and you're there in like five minutes. Anyway, um, but the, when he's lying in bed and he's transforming into a plant and he's being fed raw meat, right. which again, one can imagine that's not, I don't know, that was slightly horrible. Because again, as a kid, you, you understand what it's like being in bed and being ill. Um, and mm -hmm. the last thing you want your mum to bring you when you're feeling you're not very well and you're in bed is like some raw meat. <laughs> and then I think at, at any time, time exactly. that would come And by. then I think as again I, I'm afraid I, I have not watched this uh, recently I believe he then begs the person who's bringing meat to kill him because he understands No he well he begs he begs to be taken to the hospital and then the servant right. um says you know Mr. Chase knows best and then the scene ends with Keeler going you want me to die you want me to die and it's just it was just intense it was it's just it was just super, very powerful super intense piece of acting yeah, yeah. and just horrific mm -hmm. and frightening i think if you watch it as an adult um, i think you know i think you know it's, it's entirely possible that Mary Whitehouse had a point i mean it is a pretty horrific show but mm -hmm. i think maybe it's more horrific if you watch it as an adult i think kids have better ways of coping with these things. I, they pick up on different yeah. things. And like again, that. I think I remember being more horrified by the idea of being fed raw meat than <laughs> being changed into a plant or being strangled by a plant, right. certainly. Mm -hmm. um, that following summer, I can remember again playing with my sister and friends in the local river and draping ourselves in, in weed uh, pond mm -hmm. weed and pretending to be crinoids and also <laughs> pretending to be like dragged under the under the surface of the water by malevolent weeds who are trying to drown us right this whole idea of like doctor who just being this kind of play machine that is kind of gives you scenarios to act out as kids in completely innocent and intensely entertaining ways um, at no point did i attempt to strangle my sister with obscene <laughs> vegetable matter but we had a great time just playing with it let the imagination run wild. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay. Any final, final words for... For, for Seeds of Doom, yeah. I guess? Uh, just uh, Amelia Ducat. Oh, Amelia Ducat, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Duque, Duque, Ducat, I can't, I can't remember, but she was... 
she's she was hilarious i think and just these are characters that don't often crop up in Doctor right. Who. And so by being the Avengers, we do get the treat of Amelia Duquet and her uh, sketches of plants. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't see a Harrison Chase in anything other than an Avenger-type Doctor Who. So I think for just for those two roles alone, I think it is good that this season finale nipped over cross genre. Yeah into the Avengers. I think Doctor Who is richer because of it. Exactly. And I think, you know, this is the thing that Doctor Who does so well, um, or, or I think continues to do well, because again, I think a lot of the inspiration for um, certainly the Moffat era has been, okay, well, let's do a Western, let's do some dinosaurs, let, you know, let's do a, a particular genre thing. But mm-hmm. it's certainly this era was just the era where these mashups of genres and these kind of experimentation of see how would Doctor Who do the Avengers, how Doctor Who would do the thing from another world, um, you know, how Doctor Who would do Frankenstein. It's just so fruitful and mm-hmm. uh, rich because you you know you already have an understanding of what the story will be because it's right. rooted so deeply deeply within particular genres, and when it just spins mm-hmm. out into kind of completely different Doctor Who kind of directions, it's just so intensely exciting and rewarding. So, do you have a favorite order, or what would you what would you be your favorite from this? Because it's excellent. Oh, good season lord! Um, you know, I think probably. It's very hard to say. It's a toss-up, really, between I think uh, Planet of Evil or the Pyramids of Mars. Interesting. How okay. about How about you? For myself, I think it's a clear favorite of Terror of the Zygons, and then followed sort closely behind by Pyramid right, of Mars. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll, I'll again just to go back to the whole toy thing, which of course I'm I'm interested in. Um, it's interesting <laughs> to know that Pyramids of Mars has, I think, it's generated three box toy sets and at least so character optimism busy exactly, on exactly <laughs> at least at least two versions of the doctor um uh, yeah i mean it's 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 uh, it's kind of instructive that you can buy a marcus scarman action figure um of which wow. i have one like who <laughs> you know well, that's just extraordinary and it's i think it's a testament to how popular this show with fan is is with fans yeah. <laughs> but of course next week uh, we can talk about season 14 <laughs> hooray which yeah. is the final season of uh, Hinchcliffe oh, But there's Holmes. some good stuff in it, I'll have to say. There certainly is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. All good. All yeah, good. Anyway. So stuff to look forward to. Definitely stuff to look forward to. So, <laughs> um, uh, we can close it out. Yeah, you've been listening to episode 18 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. I am David. And I am Ben. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, as a number two, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye.